Well, anyway, I'm going I'm to feed off of what you said this morning. It is interesting um, looking at loving others. But you, you know the world that we live in. You don't always get love back, do you, in this world of ours? But there's a place. There's a place where people care and that love is returned and it's genuine. And you know what that place is? It's called the church. We've been uh, looking at uh, a series of When You Have Jesus, uh, You Have It All, because uh, with him comes so much. Um, but I want to talk about this morning uh, the gift of the church. The gift of the church. Because with, with Jesus, with his death and resurrection, uh, came a different order, if you will. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. They didn't call it a church before that, right? Um, Jesus said, I'm going to build something, and, and, and it's going to be empowered by me, right? Why? Because when Jesus, uh, well, I'm going to get into that in a second. So, gift to the church. When I say church... I'm not referring to the physical building, okay, which is a wonderful gift, amen, a wonderful gift to us. But the church I'm referring to is those who gather to worship in this beautiful building of ours, right? Isn't it great to be part of a church family? The word church in the New Testament means assembly, right? The assembly of who? the assembly of those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have been born again by the Holy Spirit and have been made new creations in Christ. We're also called, in the, in the Bible, the body of Christ. Now, that term has kind of a double meaning that we need to talk about this morning because the, a, a body can refer to any organized group, such as a legislative body, or you, on campus they refer to a student body, right? Any kind of organized group of people. So we are a group who have come together to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's our body. So we are, we are a body. But in the Bible... Uh, such as Ephesians chapter 1, we see a hint of something more to this word body, something far greater. Uh, beginning in verse 22, it says, And he put thing, he, God, the Father, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, which is his body. What does that really mean? Well, <clears throat> we understand a human being to be three parts, uh, a trichotomy, they call it, body, soul, and spirit, right? Your spirit is the inner you. It's your living essence, um, that which is eternal, right? You know that, right? It's, it, everybody's going to live forever. The big question is, where are we going to spend eternity? That, that living part of you is never going to die, that inner part, right? So you, you are a spirit being created in the image of God. God is a spirit being. You are a spirit being. 
You have or you possess a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Okay? That kind of thing. So that's your soul. Our body, the Bible calls our earthly tent. Right? This fleshly thing that we live in that God gave us to interact with this three-dimensional world that we live in, that we are in, you know, temporarily here. Can you imagine if you were just a spirit being floating around, never being able to touch soft grass or, or smell a flower or give someone a hug? That would be, um, we, we, we did in the, in the men's group, we did that, that book of, of heaven, right? Um, and, and where we ever got the idea that when we die, we're just going to be, you know, floating around spirits, you know, playing harps or whatever, how boring would that be? God's got bigger plans for us than that. Read the book. Um, but so we have this human body, this fleshly tent, if you will, so that we can interact with the world around us, interact with the people around us. So you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Okay? Say that way. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Okay? So, now Jesus, from eternal past, is a spirit being. Right? But for a time, he became like us and lived in a human body. Miracle of miracles. How can you contain God in a human body? I don't know. But he did, so that he could not only relate on our level and shake hands and hug and talk to people in, in language and they could see him and, you know, all of that, but also so that he, as a human, could pay the price on the cross for human sin as the only one able to do that, the only sinless one perfect enough to be that sacrifice on our behalf. That's why he did it. So, but after paying that debt on the cross and rising again, now his spirit, the Holy Spirit, could also come to live in those who receive him as Lord and Savior. In our human bodies. That's what being a new creation is all about. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us. So then, that Jesus, watch this, Jesus lives, His Spirit, His essence, lives in all of us. So he now interacts with the world through us. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth. Right? Not that he, not that he possesses us, so to speak, and, and, and forces us to do things. No, he leads us. He guides us in what to say, in what to do, in how to love one another. But he is, he is interacting with this world through his body, us. Isn't that an awesome concept? Humbling concept, <laughs> right? We are his body, Ephesians says. And he 
is our head. But here's what I really want you to see in all of this. Because he lives in us by his spirit, you and I are united in more than just a belief system, more than just a set of values. We are part of the same body connected to and part of each other. That's the spiritual reality that we don't always think about. Right? Listen to what the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul gives the, the, the allegory of, of the human body here. He says, just as the body, speaking of the human body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, black, white, right? And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many are human bodies. If the foot should say, I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. There's an important point right there. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We are many parts, each with different personalities, each with different experiences, each with different knowledge, each with different spiritual gifts. But together, we are one body. Now, why did Paul, under inspiration, need to tell this to that church and to us? He gives us the answer in verse 25. Look at this. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. That's the reason. So that there be no this oneness, no divisions, same care for one another. See, the Corinthian church, if you've read the book of Corinthians, you know that they had issues, right? But really, if you boil it all down, they had one major issue. They forgot that truth. They forgot that they were all connected in the Spirit. They forgot that they were one body together. They had gotten away from that. They didn't value everybody equally anymore. Consequently, there was spiritual pride. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I have this spiritual gift. I have that spiritual gift. I can do this. I can do... Right? Spiritual pride. There were marriage problems. There were lawsuits between believers. It even affected communion. (laughs) See, they used to, communion back then, they used to combine it with a meal. It was called a love feast. (laughs) But, but, but it had become for this church of Corinth anything but. Right? The, the well to do didn't share their potluck with the poorer people in the church. Right? They sat there and ate their shrimp and lobster while other people went hungry. Really? And all this 
during this extended communion thing, which was supposed to point to the fact that we are all in in need of the grace of Christ. He came and saved us all. We are all equal sharers in His grace, all needing to be saved. The ground is level at the cross, so to speak, right? Equally saved by grace, equally God's children, equally valuable to Him, and thus should be to each other. But they lost that. They began to be prideful. They began to play favorites and treat some people like lesser than others. And when they desecrated Holy Communion in this way, they were judged by the Lord. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Let these words sink into your bones here. Verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is, the body of Christ, us as one, Without discerning that, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You see how important this is to God. If you go all the way back to the Ten Commandments, right? When when you look at those Ten Commandments, you, you, you see something. You see that half of them deal with our relationship this way, and the other half deal with our relationships this way. It's important to God. We talked about that before. If, 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 you, if you're leaving your gift at the altar, right? It's, it's, a, it's a picture of worship and you know your brother has, has, has awed against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. God says, before you even worship me, go be reconciled with your brother or your sister. That's how important this is. To God, because our relationships with one another is the reflection of our relationship with Him. And, 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 and if they're not reflecting that in the way that, that we should, it's, it's defaming Him. It's, it's dishonoring to Him, isn't it? God's design for the church, every member equally important. Every member, valuable. It's like family in some families, maybe yours, right? You may look a little different, dress a little funny, be a little weird over here or there, but at the end of the day, you're family. You have our back, we have your back, and that's the way it is, and don't mess with my family, right? Might roll my eyes at you sometimes, but hey, you're family. That's the way it is some places. As the old saying goes, blood is thicker than water, right? But can I tell you, the Bible shows us over and over that spirit is thicker than blood. Think about it. Our living connection to God, His Spirit, connects us to one another at a level even deeper than blood family. We are connected at spirit level, at the core of who we are. And when we're in heaven and, 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 and all of the you know, families, it, it's going to be a whole different order up there, right? Jesus said there's not going to be marriage and given in marriage. The relationships that we have with each other are going to be at a higher plane that we can't even fathom at this point, right? 
But that connection is here and it is now. We are connected at the very core of our being. We are family with a capital F. We're the church. His body. Knowing that, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 5.1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and... Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Family. Family. John 15, Jesus talked about to His disciples. He said, this is my commandment. Singular. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. I'm giving you guys, you 12, you guys that are starting this whole movement and changing the world, I'm giving you one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. What had he just done? He just washed their stinky feet. Right? Talked about that before. They walked most places that they went. Right? Same places with the donkeys and the sheep and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, they had dirty, stinky feet. And Jesus girded himself with a towel. The Last Supper. Washed their feet, served them. He who should have been served. He who who was, in fact, greater than all the rest. Humbled himself. Elevated them. And served them. Right? Likewise, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look around the room this morning. Go ahead, just, just look around. Jesus said, if you are truly my disciple, love and serve them. Love and serve them. That's my commandment. Love and serve these folks right here. Now contrast the church in Corinth with the one in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Wow! Wow! Such love for each other. Such a bond in Christ. What's mine is yours. You need it? Take it. As if you were me. Can can, can you even wrap your head around that concept? And this was not a tight little church of 20 people. This was a church of over 3,000. And they had this attitude. Sounds a little unrealistic, doesn't it? I mean, come on. Really? What's mine is yours. You're not my, my, my blood family. You're not my best friend. You're a member of my church, right? Sounds a little unrealistic, doesn't it? 
You know why? Because a lot of us, unfortunately, have been hurt in churches by people who should have loved us, people who should have cared, people that we trusted, who, watch this, were acting in the flesh, were acting out of their own insecurity and wounded us instead of acting in the love of Christ. Imperfect, fallen human beings that didn't fulfill the one command of Jesus. But because of that, because we get wounded, we come away thinking, I guess that was kind of a nice dream. You know, when I first joined the church, there was all these people, they all loved me and I all loved them, and then all of a sudden, whammo to the side of the head, and it's like, oh, okay, so this is the way it really is. I must have read this wrong. And we put our guard up, because that ain't going to happen again. Or we get bitter, right? Or we walk out. We just plain walk out. And lose the life-giving fellowship that Jesus designed for us. And we give up. We give up on fulfilling this one command of the Lord. We give up on God's design for the church because it doesn't work. But you know what? This passage in Acts proves that it can work with people just like you and me. Think they were any better, any different? 3,000 people plus one heart. What's mine is yours. How did they get there? How did this church in Jerusalem get to that place? I believe it's because the apostles were there. The apostles who had their feet washed by Jesus, who were so impacted by his actions, and, and, then, and then doubly because of the cross, because they finally understood that he would do even so much more for them. Right? But so impacted that they taught that commandment passionately. And they lived it by example. Listen, they, they made that commandment number one in their church. It was the single greatest priority in that church. And people from the start understood that this is what it means to follow Jesus. Beyond all the other stuff, this is what it means. We love one another as he loved us. We wash each other's stinky feet. We put up with each other's quirks. When we, when, when we, when we have a disagreement, we're family. We sit down, we talk about things, we work them out. We value people. Even when they don't look like us or whatever, right? It's a valued member of my body. Not, not my church, like, 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 like here's somebody that goes to the same building. No, this is a member of my body. I am connected to them. They have a need. They're hurting. They're on the prayer list. 
They're going through a tough time. They're financially. Boom. What, 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 what do you need? Right? You're a part of me. They understood that. It was taught right from the get-go. And, 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 and because of it, they, they built a culture like that. And, and it was part of it. When new people came in, they, they, they knew this is what we do. And, and, and I'm sure if, if, if you crossed that line, you know, the, the whole group kind of held everybody else accountable to that. And that's the way it functioned. And you know what? Because of that, God blessed them. The Bible says he worked miracles among them and added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you know why? Because they were ready for this influx of people. They had a loving, supportive atmosphere built in. They were ready for revival. They were ready for people to come daily and be added to them. Because they made a priority of commandment number one. Commandment only one. Loving one another was more important than whose idea was adopted at the last meeting or the kinds of songs they sang or the color of carpet in the sanctuary. I'll never forget the time Kate and I were in a church many, many years ago. We had two, only two little kids at that point in time. We were at an annual meeting in a church and the subject came up about renovations in a basement. And there were words and there were raised voices, and there were unkind things shouted at other people, and there were people that walked out and never came back. Renovations. Now, I, I, I mean, was the past, were, were they preaching heresy? No. Did the pastor and elders embezzle thousands of dollars and go on a cruise? No. Renovations in a basement. And, and, and these formerly wonderful, loving people acting in the flesh, putting their personal preferences over family with the capital F, over valuing another person. Instead of passionately presenting their views, I mean, we can be passionate about stuff, right? We can be convinced of things, and that's fine. And we can differ in, in our ideas and how to do things. That's fine. But we can do it with love and value and respect for your ideas. That's, 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 why, we, that's why we meet in groups, right? Because we talk about your idea. And all the pluses and minuses, we talk about my idea and the pluses and minuses and their idea and the pluses. And then we say, okay, do we, we need to spend some time in prayer on this? Or is there something that really stands? So then we, we, we agree on this as a group and then, we, and then we're a team. doesn't matter whose idea it is. We're all trying to do what's best for the church, right? And if I, they, they don't go with my idea, okay. You know. But it's family. I value you. I value your idea and what you bring to the table. And everybody's voice is welcome. It's important. I'm in so many places 
um, so, so many meetings and, and different things where we sat around the table and we talked about this, we talked about this, and this, and this, and this. And all of a sudden, somebody speaks up. Somebody that, that doesn't normally speak up. And they say, well, what about this? And, and, and it's just, just like this hush, right? It's like, that's God. That's God, right? We were all over here and trying to work this out and trying to force a square peg into a round hole and it didn't help. And then, what about this? It's like, right? Somebody who we wouldn't have thought in the natural that they would have this idea. Amazing what God does. Do you see it? God designed the church to be a gift to us. Our refuge from the world and all the infighting and divisiveness and all of that out there. This is our refuge. This is our safe place where we can come and be loved and accepted and valued despite our looks, despite our talents, Despite our, our social standing, despite our financial portfolio, I am loved. I am valued. Just like everybody else. No one greater than anyone else. By people. Valued by people who I am connected to with a bond stronger than that of blood family. Connected through the Spirit of Christ. People who have our back. People who treat us with kindness and respect. People who build us up and don't tear us down. We get enough of that during the week, don't we? Who love us today and love us again tomorrow, even when we mess up. People who err on the side of grace with patience. Err on the side of giving us the benefit of the doubt. And when disagreements happen, these are people that are eager to forgive, to reconcile, in order to preserve that, that crucial spirit of oneness. Who wants to have that here? I mean all the way, right? <clears throat> you want to have that here? Then be that. Be that. Because if you make... Make this one commandment your priority at First Baptist Church of Manchester. Make it your priority. Let this one thing be at the top of the list of all we do as a church. In our services, in, in our Bible studies and small groups, in, in, in our, our, our meetings and our decisions, in, in, our, in our events, in our projects. That one thing becomes the priority. If we will all commit to loving, valuing, serving, encouraging, building up, if that is the culture we want to build, if we are committed to that, we will have it. They had it in Jerusalem. We can have it here all the way. All the way. An oasis from the world. We need that, don't we? Yeah. This isn't just pie in the sky, wishful thinking. 
It's God's design for the church. And remember this. The same spirit who unites us is the one who empowers us. We can't do this on our own, right? No way. But as we say yes to him, as we give our hearts to him and say, okay, Lord, this is what you want from me. I'm going to make this my priority. He will empower us to keep it. To become like that church in Jerusalem. A gift to ourselves and to our community. Amen? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's really, really do this. And let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for not only a, a wonderful design, God. We, we all need this. We all need this. A safe place. A place of love and encouragement. Enable us, Lord, to take a stand. To say, I will, above all things, treat every member in this body as more significant than myself. Value them, listen to them, love them, serve them, encourage them. Before all other things, that we may honor you as your body and create a culture that invites the community to come in and be a part of us as you move by your spirit and bring them in through us as we share the incredible things that you're doing here. We thank you. Move and work, Lord. God, forgive me. Forgive me, the pastor, for not always walking according to this. For sometimes looking at different people in this congregation with two different eyes. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for when I wanted my way on things. and close myself off to listen to somebody else. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. Move among us, Lord, and be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.